welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. Here we talk about everything healthcare and technology, and I'm your host, James Somaru. Hey everybody, you've heard of the genome, but have you ever heard of the neurome? Well, the genome is obviously for genes, uh, but the neurome is for your nervous system. Now, my guest today is Emil Hewage, and he is from the health tech company BIOS. Now, I'm just going to have a little look at the BIOS website here to read this straight from their mouth because this is fascinating. So decades ago, DNA sequencing opened up a new field of precision medicine, obviously, Uh, but now AI is doing exactly the same for the nervous system and BIOS is at the forefront. What they're doing is they're building infrastructure on which future neural treatments will be discovered, developed, and delivered. Now, how do they do that? Well, the brain sends our bodies vast amounts of information every second, every day, but when those signals are faulty, it causes the organs and the systems to malfunction, causing disease. So if you think about it, the brain is developing these electrical signals, that they contain information, that information is going down the nerves to the organs. Where that's faulty, those organs become dysfunctional. You can probably see where we're going with this. BIOS has developed neural interfaces and AI that for the first time can read and write the body's neural data or code to understand and correct those signals in real time. So an interface between the outside world and the nervous system. So what BIOS sees as the future is a new field of digital health treatments that use this new data-driven information from the nervous system to create better and more targeted medicines. So these neural digital therapies will use our, or use BIOS's read-write software to understand the effects on the nerves and give this precise creation of pharmaceuticals and software delivered treatments direct to the nervous system. So imagine having like an autoimmune disease, plugging in, reading, and then writing, rewriting the code of the nervous system to prevent that disease. It sounds like, I mean, it just sounds so futuristic, doesn't it? But this is real. This is now. This is exactly what Emil and Bios are doing. Now, Emil has been on the, the this podcast previously, so you can go back uh, if you search for it to find his episode previously. So this is Emil and I catching up, and this is four or five years later um, since his first episode. And what we talk about today is... We talk about what's happened in that time. Now, Emil has learned to sail recently, and so there are many uh, water-based and boat-based analogies and weather-based analogies as to where we are on the health tech space right now and how his journey um, has been paddling out to the open water and dealing with bad weather and all the rest of it. Anyway, um, you're going to hear what's happened in the health tech system over the last few years and why Emil and Bios have not only survived but thrived and how they are building key infrastructure for new drug discovery and how they are, honest to God, going to change the world. It's incredible technology, really exciting frontier technology, this um, it's fascinating. And Emil is a wonderfully humble, uh, yet clearly very competent leader. Um, and I fully 
back him to be a heck of a force in future. So I uh, hope you enjoy this one. Emil from BIOS. Welcome to the Health Tech Podcast, mate. How are you doing? Hi, James. Doing great. How are you? Yeah, not too bad, buddy. Not too bad. Um, delighted to have you back on. I'm going to start doing this a little bit more, um, getting previous guests to come back on to uh, give us the update. And especially with like people like yourself, man, it's been like ages, isn't it? Like I can't even remember like when we spoke. Was it like three years ago, four years ago? It was, it was a long time. In startups as well, that's an age, isn't it? So it's um, the world is definitely different. The world is different and we're definitely, definitely, definitely going to get into that because I think even to be a health tech company that has survived through the last four years is a, is, is a bit of an achievement, let alone thrived and actually having changed what you're doing and everything that you guys are up to. I mean, super cool company doing super cool things, right? So I am looking forward to getting into this, mate. But yeah, give me the personal update to begin with. How are you, how are you? How's the family? How how are you personally? How's your resilience doing, etc. <laughs> on multiple fronts? Yeah, I think I think resilience is the right the right question. I th- um, they talk they talk about sort of startups being a marathon, and I think after the pandemic and then the kind of the way the world and the markets changed last year, it sort of felt like that people have put two incredibly large hills one after the other. I'm not the best at that kind of thing, so. I actually um, sort of try to take up some things that can can challenge me and remind myself how to just keep going. Um, I've uh, started learning to sail, uh, and and that was sort of something that I've never done before, and I found quite, I've really found quite enjoyable and life affirming. The day that I started the business and told myself I'm taking it seriously, this is a metaphor about burning the boats. You know, you sort of you you you. You commit and you say, that, well, this is it. And you tell everyone and you're not coming back. And you tell yourself, okay, I can last a year or however long it is. You know, it took me actually three years until I got a salary after that moment. Um, I had this huge image wow. in my mind of being a tiny little boat setting out over huge waves. You know, I didn't, I didn't quite know where we were going. So instead of burning the boats, I felt like I was jumping in one and, and, and sort of furiously paddling, so I didn't have any sails away from the shore towards mm. something silly. So... So actually, for me, learning how to sail, maybe put a bit more um, context behind that metaphor. And actually, I found um, it a really good way to, to also contextualize what it's been like to, to run a business and to keep growing it and to keep moving it forwards. And if one thing is true, I found everyone else, every other sort of operator, other co-founders, other CEOs, realizing that now our the way we turn up every day point the boat in the right direction matters even more than before. And that's actually something that, that makes it, makes it worth, you know, slogging up what otherwise just feels like a hill, you know, is actually thinking about, thinking about your role differently, a bit, bit like an explorer on around the world that you've never really trained for. And that, that's a way to keep sane in this market, I think. Yeah. I mean, the, uh, the, it'll be metaphors galore. I imagine this as, uh, <laughs> as we compare sailing to entrepreneurship. Um, but before we get into that, and I definitely want to talk about winning in, uh, in this bear market, but before we get into that, for those people that might not have listened to your previous episode, give us the rundown on BIOS very briefly, what you guys do, how cool it is. And four years since what's happened. Yeah. So, um, you know, actually, the interesting thing is, BIOS is BIOS is trying to do something quite hard, but but the purpose of the business is really simple. We actually we could use the information flowing around our brains and our nerves 
uh, for medicine and actually just just like the genome the main the main thing you can do right now is use all that information to make medicines more precise and what that means is that to start with it would be faster to discover uh, a medicine as impactful as the beta blocker where the beta blocker was discovered in the 60s and it actually changes nerve activity and prevents a lot of people from 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 dying early of, of heart failure but ultimately the same the same big diseases exist and more advances need to be made so information from nerves can be used just to design medicines faster to dose things more effectively in clinics to be the frontier um, in the same way that genomic data is the frontier of treating oncology and just in in the same way that um, there are companies that need to come into existence to, to power genomics. So Illumina is very famous for being essentially the machine behind most of the insight everyone uses every day. BIOS is sort of really emerging as the company that is the Illumina of, of this space now. So we've kind of kept focused on saying there's a very hard thing, which is to read nerve signals, which are big sort of fuzzy electrical noise, very personal to everyone. How do you instantaneously, within milliseconds, give someone not just noise, but the signal, the, the, the insight they need. And we could be that for scientists. We've been doing that now for about six years. So we have huge collaborations with the National Institutes of Health in America, where every time people have been uh, trying to map um, the connection between a nerve and a new organ, in the same way that building the human genome was sort of the foundations led by scientists, they can now build this map between nerves and organs many times, tens of thousands of times faster by working with us at BIOS. So in milliseconds, we can tell you what your snippet of nerve signal means uh, compared to sometimes 10 years of, of, of manual labor. Uh, you can share that result because we translate these sort of raw biological signals into a little common language. Um, and so you can share that result with the next um, scientist. But the next step for us has been, after doing that for a number of years, last year we started to win some awards along with our scientific partners. We found brand new treatments that were instantaneous. Um, they could be delivered electrically. So you could take those signals and, and send information back into nerves. Um, so instead of just reading, you could read and write. You could do that where the side effects were far lower than anything else that's on the market. And you could do it for people where they were already res not responding to, to common drugs. So we saw this new threshold we were crossing where the scientific use cases of our kind of sequencing technology, the reading and the machine learning that translate the signals, finally was doing stuff that was valuable for medicine, which is the kind of long-term goal for the company. So where we're at now is we have um, been lucky and really kind of pleased to be adopted by a network of some of the leading clinical centers. Um, so places like U University of Minnesota and their partners like Stanford, Mayo Clinic, are now using our um, sort of reading technology to help create the first sort of neurome, the mapping between the vagus nerve and a lot of key organs. Um, so it's a huge step forwards for uh, BIOS because um, you can kind of join the dots. You see, okay, there was the human genome project and then there were human medicines. And we went from the scientific neuromes to now we're, in, we're, now we're powering human neuromes in clinics led by you know, real clinicians for real people. Um, and that's where we're at now. So in, in, a, in a nice way, uh, it's just one more piece of the picture is finally becoming real. And that's that's the main satisfying thing in a deep tech company. You 
you, you try and just stay focused. We're good at reading and writing of neurosignals, but now the next sort of the next window opens up and it, it starts to impact people. And that's where we're at, basically. You mentioned a word there, which is fascinating to me: the neurome. Uh, in in the context of the genome mapping the genes, the neurome is mapping is mapping what exactly? So yeah, it's um, it's interesting because you know the genome, if you think about it, is sort of saying this these pieces of DNA mean something to your health at different levels of abstraction. Yeah. So you can either group yeah. them and it tells you about genes. Um, where, which we know that kind of we can swap with each other and, you know, uh, you can inherit, but ultimately you can also decide, okay, if I have this pattern, then this means something's going to happen with my disease, um, or some kind of medicine is going to work. So that answer contains different levels of abstraction. And in the same way, the neurome is a similar thing. So your nerve activity, the main difference between DNA and nerves is nerves is real time. Every second, every, every millisecond, Every firing and every nerve ending and every big cluster of of, um, of neurons is going to be different to what it was a millisecond before. And actually, mm. that's the engine room, that's the operating system of real life, right? There's some moments you feel happy, some moments you feel pain, some moments your heart is racing, some moments your breathing is, is slowed. And a lot of that is actually controlled and mediated by nerve fibers firing, getting the signals um, and, and feeding them on and your body doing something. So uh, if we take one example, which is sort of heart failure, you know, you, your brain uh, evolved to kind of regulate these the organs without you having to think about it. And in heart failure, you have often accrued a lot of disease and your body is receiving still via nerves, things like blood pressure and also um, other readings from your body about kind of how much you're exerting yourself. Yeah. And every millisecond, there's reflex arcs and there's things that, that, that process yeah. that information and change how your heart works. So like baroreceptors, chemoreceptors, et cetera, et cetera, just those exactly, yeah. So the baroreceptor, right, okay, exactly, exactly. So the baroreceptor is a cell or type of cell that when it kind of essentially stretches, that's stretching because there's pressure changes that then gets yeah. turned into neural information and that neural information yeah. flows somewhere else and your, 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 yeah. your, your heart rate might change. So the neurome is, is asking, okay, uh, if we could measure, something directly from your nerves, like the firings of, of, of the nerves. Can you tell me, instead of just showing me, you know, random noise that I don't understand, could you tell me something about either your biology? So, you know, are the baroreceptors working or what's the pressure you're sensing? Could you tell me something at a different level of abstraction, like which medicines are um, causing this effect or maybe causing side effects in this neural activity or, uh, or another level of, of abstraction? You know, what is the right decision for James right now? Should he stop running because he's at the edge of a heart attack? Should uh, I, as his doctor, prescribe the next medicine because all these ones have started to stop working? Should, you know, maybe I, as his telephone, um, kind of play better, play more relaxed, slower music because we know that actually that might help. So real, imagine if you could read the real time language going on in your body and you can't, humans can't, but AI can in the same way that AI could translate French to English. And it could translate that in a very personal fashion for you and give you information at different levels of abstraction. So the neurome is mapping the neural activity uh, personal to you to um, you know, chemistry level, organ level, um, d- and disease level, 
and also kind of treatment level um, decisions that could be made in a millisecond. Mm. And um, so building that map is something that will take a very long time and will be a whole frontier of medicine. And we, we sort of see two frontiers at BIOS at the moment. So in the labs that use our real-time reading, um, it's about saying, can I decide which molecule actually works right now against thousands of mm. others? Can I see the response? And it's, it's funny, in 60 years of using um, actually 70 years of using molecules to target nerves. No one has ever read the responses of nerves before because the technology has not been fast enough. So we're, we're, we're bringing a first look at what was firing in the dark. So if you wanted to find the, if you wanted to find the medicine uh, that could treat long COVID because of the damage to nerves that long COVID has, has caused, you want to measure that what, what the nerves are doing. That mechanism is, is, is key. And, and this lets you measure for the first time, you know, decide the right, um, course for the first time. And even if you want to trial this medicine, how do you decide who's going to be right for it? And how do you figure out their dosing? I mean, a dose the dose of a medicine normally is this big textbook. You look up the BNF and you maybe look at someone's body weight and body mass and, and kind of figure it out from there. Nerves needs to be more precise. So can you read this? Um, can we process something at the dosing level and, and let the experts kind of come up with the, with the new kind of shorthand, um, the new way of calculating the right dose. So that's one whole frontier that we're seeing in, in, in basically breakthrough medicines or medicines that need to be specialized for new people. Um, ideally also making kind of um, new medicines um, from different combinations of what's been out there before and getting doses personalized. So that's one frontier we're seeing. The other frontier is actually really interesting because it's the other end of the spectrum. It's in acute, so uh, surgical settings. So if you think about the moment where someone's being fitted with, um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stimulators out there that, um, are like pacemakers, but for, for your nerves, people, one very famous group is there's about 2 million people a year in America who have epilepsy and they, um, have stopped responding to medicines. So they don't have any other way to control their, uh, control their, their seizures and, there are stimulators that can that people can fit in, in any you know sort of hundreds of community centers around the U.S. that could very quickly treat their symptoms. But but even the largest company in the world that, that does it is still you know small relative to the big majors. They they maybe make half a billion uh, dollars a year, which is quite a lot. But they're treating tens of thousands instead of millions of people. And if you ask them why why can't you grow faster, what they will talk about is the fact that actually in the room at the moment when this surgeon has to um, set this thing up, they didn't learn didn't learn electronics, they didn't learn signal processing. They aren't sort of master DJs being able to kind of you know configure all the the knobs and whistles and and, and such like. So um, how can you have within a few seconds sort of something that is AI and machine learning driven? reading the response of the nerves and, and, and giving the kind of guidance so that instead of only getting the, the kind of the, the setup, the, the dosing really right, um, 50% of the time after about 20 tries over six months, can you get the dosing within 99% of what it could be within the first few minutes and, and get, get back to what the, um, the product can really do, which is, is solving you know, 80% of these, two, these um, 2 million people. So it's a frontier where you're using it real time in a surgical setting, reading the response, getting that information in front of the decision maker so that in that procedure, you can change the quality of that patient's um, kind of outcome by huge percentages. So those are the two interesting pieces where, where we're working right now. It's so interesting, mate. I'm, I'm having 
I, I can remember our last episode now because I'm having the same emotional reaction that I had back then of like just how unbelievably exciting this actually is. And I get excited around a couple of things. I get excited around frontiers. I definitely, definitely get excited around frontiers, like the microbiome, I, I feel like is a frontier at the moment. And the the new Rome, another ohm, a microbiome and the new Rome. I now have a I now have a definitive answer for another thing that I'm excited about because I've always said for a long time actually, and I was thinking about that on the on on actually the way the way here. I was walking the dog this morning and like I, I get asked about like predictions and like what I think is exciting and what technologies are going to be cool in the year, whatever the hell. Like I get excited, I, I get asked about this stuff a lot and. My answer for like honestly, the past like ten years has has only been AI. I've not I've not and they, oh what about Web three? What about blockchain? What about this? And these technologies, I always feel come and go because at the centre of what makes me excited is what actually just works. When something just works and is adopted, I'm like, well, that can actually change something. Like that that is exciting to me. But this, I'm having the same emotional reaction again because it's a it's a frontier. It's information that we don't have right now that clearly leads to impact through the drugs that be, can be created, through the processes even that can be put in that utilize this information that don't even need any kind of broad, weird tech to kind of point and shoot on top. This is more of a, and I've said this a few times on podcast over the last few episodes, it's like a deep infrastructure change to the way we do something. It's brand much like the genome. It's a deep, it's deep knowledge that so much comes from in terms of physiology, in terms of pathophysiology, in terms of even anatomy and everything that comes from that. Like this, the, the neurome seems similar. There's so much that emerges from this in terms of physiology and pathophysiology and everything. Like, that can that, that it's information that then we can interrupt with things that actually we already have. We already have a lot of these drugs. We already have a lot of these lifestyle interventions. We already have a lot of the treatments available. And actually, what you're doing is you're 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 deeply mapping using AI this brand new web of information that we can then go and do stuff with. Like I'm sort of relearning this again about you, which is like so exciting for me. That like, no, um, I think I think. I think you, I think there's a few things that I find, you know, you obviously, the fun part for me coming back on, right, is that you've got on your own huge tour of this, of this, of this evolving, you know, potentially health, mm. health technology frontier. Um, and, and I think what you just said resonates for me in a very interesting fashion, because I think we thought deeply about where we were going and where are we at BIOS over the past couple of years. And, um, you know, and someone said um, back to me, "Oh, you guys remind me of Illumina because you're getting to that point where hmm. you're the you're the infrastructure, you're the thing that's powering this new source of data." You know, you actually you you sort of put that put that back to me just now. I'd originally thought, well, you know, I know a lot of people get out of bed in the morning, and we do too, to to sort of say, well, we can create a new window, or you know, a new source of information that can that could power medicines and make them better. But actually, the fact that there is an opportunity to be the infrastructure, um, the you know, it can't really be, take that role in at least a piece of the healthcare industry that needs it. 
was exciting and hearing people say it back to you mm. because you, 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 for us, it was a moment where we realized, okay, yes, people trust how well we can develop the technology that they're asking us to take that step forward and become a widely used solution. Um, it's an op- opportunity. Uh, and it, and we were asking ourselves, why does this feel so meaningful? Because kind of what you said is that um, in this phase of the industry we're in, a few big layers will get built and we're being asked to help build one of these very large layers. Uh, in 10 years time, 15 years time, neurotechnology will have proliferated even more, but the infrastructure, the, as in yeah, the supporting layers um, will have built before, been built before then. And instead of being frustrated that every use case can't be built, built now, the question then became, which things should we focus on so we can be that right kind of infrastructure and we should be really excited to be able to be that one, a huge foundational piece of infrastructure if we get it right. So you've sort of hit the nail on the head in terms of what the opportunity has become for BIOS, which is that we can become the widely used, widely trusted, in some sense it's like real-time signals, but it's real-time neural signals infrastructure for the, the, the foundations of a huge dimension of healthcare. And that means kind of being, quote-unquote, the illumina of our space, only because there's been many sequencing companies, but it's it's Illumina where there are hundreds of thousands of genomes per you know per day per year. Most of those that are being processed, ninety odd percent of them being processed by whatever that company made and the partners that invested in the huge labs, and and that's the that's the type of impact that ultimately gets you to impact for billions of people, not just billionaires. It's the impact that actually you know you used your analogy of mapping. Um, I'm excited now because in the same way that leading scientists have been mapping with our you know, little, little torches effectively that help them see further, now leading clinical centers are, are leading the mapping, right? Rather than us trying wow. to take it all on ourselves and, 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 and then and do it. So, so you see that. And actually, again, um, I've learned that operating a deep tech company is about sort of constantly trying to come back from the huge vision to find the focus that makes it worth you being the one that spends that next, you know, next dollar, the next pound and the next bit of time. And, and, and that, that role to be infrastructure is the right thing. Um, and I think there's a sort of final thought on this. That you, you're, you're right as well, that actually sort of it's the, it's the emergence of um, sort of when I left my lab, I was a machine learning and neuroscience researcher. So I, the reason I jumped in the boat, tried to head out to sea was, was because I thought, wow, this, this technology, this is 2012, 13 time, this technology is ready to do real things, not just profitable things. Uh, or not just immediately profitable things. And it's felt a lot like sailing away from shore for a very long time. But mm. in you know in the sort of wider world, people starting to see the power of these big AI engines that people can build, but also in the industrial world, seeing, you know, I've seen many pharma companies over the past two years suddenly say, well, in the future, it's just going to be about digital biology. We're the pharma company. We'll sit on top of sources of data. We'll then have engines in our company that, that interpret that data and make new medicines. The whole value chain is finally getting rebuilt on sources of data. And then it's been easier to suddenly say, look, we've now gone, you know, 30% of the way around the world on our journey, and we're positioned to be the most reliable source of what is one of the few large frontiers of data that you're going to need on that mm. journey if you're a pharma company or if you're if you're an individual that needs data about your disease. So mm. it's the world has shifted. And that's made our journey more simple. We're like, if, if you trust BIOS as a source of very rare, very complex to handle and very personal data, 
and you believe in the fact that AI-based sort of value chains, you know, ways of turning data into value and making people better in our case, is going to mm-hmm. exist, then, then it's a great place to be. Uh, and then again, it kind of makes us go and say, well, what's the one thing I need to do now? I need to make sure that BIOS is, is, is used to map out the frontiers that will work today and not get so obsessed by you know, stuff that just isn't going to work like right now, like um, talking to AI uh, you know, with our brains, but focus on the stuff that's going to make you know, ideally hundreds of millions of people better if, if, the, if the result works, because that's going to pay for that infrastructure. That's gonna that's gonna make everyone want it and roll it out in different yeah. countries, and that that's the right business model, also for an, from an ethical standpoint. Yeah, interesting. And aligning those things is 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 interesting too. I, there's just, there's a concept that you've re- referred to repeatedly here, and if I go back to sailing for a minute, you it feels like four or five years ago, whenever we talked that. You definitely launched the boat off the beach. You definitely got through the white water. You were sort of you were catching wind, certainly. Yeah. And now you you definitely you, you you're definitely out in the open water now. And and you've got wind behind you. And we can talk about things you can't control, like the weather and it feeling particularly stormy right now. We can talk about that yeah. in a little in a little bit. But in that in that zone from four or five years ago to today, where you were getting to that open water and, and catching that wind and trying to get arguably product market fit or whatever, you, however much we want to stretch this analogy. Yeah, You've referred to keeping focused a few times now um, in different ways. You actually said it at, at the start. Um, I feel that's a concept that you keep coming back to. So I, I want to make this kind of actionable advice here for for health tech companies and entrepreneurs listening, because we talk about focus a lot. It comes up a lot when we do like our quick tips episodes, like I'll oh, stay focused on this, that, and the other. What has that actually meant for you as an entrepreneur and for BIOS as a company? Because I can see for BIOS as a company and for you as an entrepreneur with your background and what you could lean into here, you referred to it just there with like, you know, I can get... I can get my brain to talk to AI automatically and telepathically get ChatGPT to do blah, blah, blah. Like I'm sure all of that is possible um, with what you can achieve and the company can achieve. But yeah, talk to me about staying focused as Emil and as BIOS and what that has actually meant for you in terms of the successes that you're seeing now, if you dare call it that. Yeah, I think um, focus, first of all, just a general statement is that for when you're when we're building our companies, you know, focus will be different based on our own strengths and the new business, you know, the business we're setting up to build. So every entrepreneur needs to find their own focal point. Um, but also that f- the wording you use to describe your focus will change for things out with your control and the things that you can also choose to do. So you might set out to, de- we set out to de- develop a product. And then ultimately, because of the fact that after a year of, after finding the company, huge businesses like Neuralink were founded. And then, you know, recently, you know, as, as money's got more expensive and the rules have changed, it became more important for us to be winning as infrastructure for lots of products than it was for just one product, right? And so the, the, the answer can change, but the focus needs to still be clear. And um, so for us, BIOS chose a few things that are specific uh, that to a neurotech company. So we went, okay, we are better when we do the higher risk thing we have extreme empathy for one type of use case of neurotechnology, which is healthcare. We want, we know that if you can get health neurotechnology to be more accessible and usable, people will get better. And that is what we care about. So those are choices, right? We're better at complex technology that's risky. 
uh, which means we are gonna, we're going to go on the hard journey around invasive implants and, and that kind of where the data can come from in neural. Um, and we're going to care about it being useful for medicine because for pragmatic reasons, that's what will pay the bills. Um, but for you know m- meaningful reasons, that's where we would all spend our time because we all know somebody who could benefit from it. So we had some kind of core features, which is we're a deep tech company and we know that we know and believe that medicine is the kind of go-to-market if you wanted to be specific. And our competitors were all different places on that spectrum. So a lot of people went to non-invasive, so wearables and neuro, and that can give you a quick hit if you can find some kind of use case because you can scale that. And um, But if you can't, then you, you're not necessarily kind of getting closer to the underlying science of the problem. So we knew we were a deeper tech. And so there's something that we are doing every day, and I know that we're doing every day, which is that our team, which has an amazing, you know, we've had, we've had about... Um, at least 40 people who have stayed for longer than four years. Uh, so the amount of like exponential increase in skill uh, that, that they have created together about us being good at this thing means I know that one leg of the stool for BIOS is always our deep technology ability. So we chose to be you know, invasive, deeper technology. Uh, we chose not to chase kind of consumer use cases, but see how we can go to market together with everyone else in the medical domain. The next phase, as we noticed all these other people pouring money into the into neurotech, it became very popular. Thanks, thanks to actually, you know, mm. things like Elon Musk deciding it was a thing for him too. Uh, was where is the money going, and where where are we going to put our you know deep tech effort that that makes us most sort of valuable given the landscape? And just like many other um, waves of technology, even like personal computers, a lot of the money flowed into the hardware. Because everyone sort of thought, I want to be the NVIDIA of this space. I want to be the TSMC right. of this space. And that was a huge amount of capital going into hardware. So when we started off saying we'll make a product, our, our, our whole vision, even for the first product, um, which was for amputees, was we're going to try and make that and make the, the hardware as cheap as possible. You know, almost copy the Raspberry Pi thing of, of, of almost give away the, the hardware side to then make sure that the data stuff kind of gets its place. And actually, after a few years, we went, we can even be more aggressive right now and say, well, a lot of people are building hardware. None of the people on the market um, use hardware to read signals. So all the new people like Neuralink and us, we are we are making hardware that can read signals. All the stuff in clinics, the stimulators, they, they write signals, they don't read. So we can drop the reading um, as a necessary first step and just focus, sorry, drop the writing as a necessary first step and just focus on reading. So focus became about kind of cutting out bits we don't need to compete on. Because if I can be useful in the room and read, I can partner um, anywhere on my technology stack. So if you have a stimulator, I can say, look, you guys own, um, you guys own the stimulator. You've spent possibly a billion dollars on that stimulator how can my reading um, help your writing? Uh, and you kind of create this new language that allows focus to be a discussion. So you so you start from what you're good at and you double down on that. And then you start to watch what you can drop to stay more focused. You start to watch what you can say to allow yourself to sort of take a position of focus with your counterparties. And, and then the fourth step for us has been about business model. So like, where does the money need to come from? to allow us to continue. Um, so two years ago, when there was a lot of investors um, willing to invest, in the, the same way that a hardware startup might spend um, you know, $100 million to get a product close to being implanted in the brain and being a new, new reading um, piece of technology, a new writing piece of technology, we had to ask ourselves, when there's that much money, 
uh, from investment standpoint, how do we use our advantage, which is the sort of nexus between the, the signals, the reading, the hardware, but also this medicine? Where does, where does our kind of, um, where does our, it's essentially what's the business model of the business? What, is, what, what, what value do we create that justifies um, people, uh, people sort of spending on us? And we realized that the, the thing that we were better at than everyone else was creating these precision medicines, the thing that ultimately people are paying for. So whether it is fully built in-house, we have some fully built in-house, whether it's um, conventional molecule, like sort of drugs, uh, or whether it's partnering with uh, devices, the special source we add is that when you read, when BIOS reads the signals, we find these new insights, they become these precision, anyone's product becomes a precision medicine. And so we decided, um, and they're sort of known uh, as neural digital therapies for very specific reasons that, you know, it's a different podcast discussion, but, you know, a beta blocker where you can then you know, change the dose in real time because of the nerve response would be a neural digital um, beta blocker, uh, as an example. And we realized that's the product that BIOS can make in, you know, six months for a couple million dollars that competitors would take 10 years and a hundred million dollars to make. That's our, that's our core advantage. That's the focus that we've built through our expertise. And so if I go out and say, okay, now invest in the business, what we're creating then is this, um, if it was two years ago, it would be this portfolio of products that could be made all with the same features. And then um, just like um, we've been discussing, the sea changed. You know, there's actually a famous investor called Howard Marks who wrote this blog last year saying the sea has changed, um, meaning money is expensive to invest right now. And so the last piece of that focus where we're trying to figure out our quote unquote business model went from building products where we would always sort of be able to imagine the next investor coming along and getting kind of the next piece of the portfolio and everything's driven by money from decades in the future where there are billions of dollars worth of neurological therapies. And we're only just basically investing the money now to, 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 to speed up the time. The sea change that moved. So, so now it is not about, how much can the investment you raise get you? But how much can your products um, compete in the market to, in, to win you more money back for every every moment you've already spent, right? So the the, the, the mindset shifts to unit economics, right? So the um, the slightly faster slightly faster gadget, and because of our business, and because we are still a very productive core team at one piece of the puzzle. That meant two things. One is that we could compete as really good infrastructure, way better than any one product um, would compete against a competitor. So if you go to a lab that is using BIOS right now, you can get answers literally in weeks that would, would take you years or may never happen. If you work in the clinics that are currently mapping these neurons with us, it means your clinical trials should have much, much higher, tens of times um, higher chances of success, tens of times uh, lower cost because you're generating this rich data around the right thing. And then fundamentally, that should be the frontier at which people go home and trust your products better. So that's where um, the business plan becomes how many of these frontiers should be being pushed at one time to have infrastructure on top of, you know, have, have infrastructure as BIOS proliferating and so our mindset shifts from product-based to infrastructure-based kind of revenue. You know, what's the unit economic of, mm. of like, if I, I currently have partnerships growing with 10 of the best clinics in the world, how many frontiers should they be pioneering to make sure that ultimately um, we are the place where the best advances come from? How can I be the 
most affordable. And the other point, the counterpoint to that is my business model becomes infrastructure. Everyone else is, if they're still investing in a product, I know their investors are going to ask them for, you know, basically more bang for the buck. So we were building our own portfolio of therapies at the same time as big brands were building their own portfolios. And the moment that we spent our time controlling our costs and making sure we were efficient, we then started to ask people, hey, you know, which bits of these things do you want to achieve with less budget? Which ones of these things do you want to um, save money on and decrease risk on? And in, you know, the year before last's market, they would have not shared. They'd go, I don't care. I can get money from the investor market to make my own profits here. Whereas now we... Um, we can make progress on more partnerships uh, alongside our infrastructure and share in the value of what they're making because our 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 position is still unique, and valuable. We've we've still we've still figured out how to have the, the the largest source of data, the cheapest marginal cost of data. We work every day to make that data valuable, so it's tangible. It's not just mm-hmm. an, another consultancy. We are infrastructure. We are choosing who we work with based on what they what their products are are core to doing. But finally, their minds are finally open to share, right? Because everyone doesn't have this huge gale blowing everyone down the course. Uh, we're basically saying, hey, we're going to go over here and get, go around the island of, of being clinically usable, real-time data for your products. Um, would you like to collaborate so you, know, you can be over there and we can sort of share, share value? So that's, that's become focus now has been, been about keeping that investment in the thing we're good at, really I mean, I, I'm so grateful for our team continuing to invest in making BIOS a great place to work and keeping that there. And then us focusing on which parts of the market are our competitors, who aren't really our competitors, going to do really well. And so how can we develop a conversation with them doing that well and what we do? And then finally, sort of realizing that, you know, there's no free lunch. Uh, there's no, um, there's no mm-hmm. more money for free lunch. So what bit of that are we going to return value on? And how do we ideally prevent the wrong business model paying for the infrastructure for neural signals. I would hate if, um, you know, if it was sort of like a Facebook moment where later on everyone went, oh crap, you know, all that data was given for advertisers. And now as a person, I, I, I don't like the, the relationship I have with that big piece of technology. Um, we're choosing to sort of try and work with people who want to look for more affordable clinical trials because that will mean cheaper products and, and people who are trying to reduce the side effects of products and people who are trying to trying to find a way to kind of make those frontiers work because that means that we're ideally on the right side of affordable and distributed and personal medicine and, and that conversation will then continue as we continue to focus and, and build our brand there mm. i've learned two things from you there mainly um narrowing focus and actually not being afraid to refocus i think both those are yes. incredibly important and whilst the refocusing might not be really big swings it might well be be within the scope of your previous focus it is though important to continually hold yourself accountable to that which it sounds like you are which i think is a demonstration of progress and actually has led to where you are now the ability for you to keep doing that i want to talk about entrepreneurship more broadly, I suppose, or the health tech space more broadly, and this and this gale that has been blowing everybody down the course and everybody seemingly getting cheap capital and making progress and this world that we have been in that has now changed, the weather has changed massively. What do you think 
this leads to. Not everybody is going to be blown down the course now. There are going to be boats that sink. There are going to be boats that fall way behind and then sink. There are going to be those that actually, I suppose, those very technically savvy sailors that know how to tack into the wind and know how to maintain course or simply not fall behind. Those that even can really get ahead, I guess. What do you feel is going on right now in, in this space? Like, How do you think about it? So I was sort of, I'd say, unfortunate, fortunate enough to start my first jobs in these startups just before the credit crisis. And it made me sort of experience that with a bunch of people. And that somewhat colors my view. The most important thing is that right now and possibly for a couple of years at least, life is just really tough for each of us as people. You know, the reason the gales have stopped blowing is because of fear in the investment market. And that fear is because really bad things are happening in the world. And, you know, as a society, we're just struggling to make it all add up. And if you read, you know, if you read certain analysis, it's it's a time of change that's going to just keep re, you know, rebalancing and, and, and taking things away from our lives that we were expecting, making things that we try to do every day hard. So the average reality is that you're going to be worried about your bills more. You're going to be worried about your, um, whether your children are getting the right education and whether the place you live is going to feel safe or not. If there's, if, if, you know, some of the fabric of what's around you is going to break down. So the big overarching issue to remember is that change this change first is causing life and uh, a, a good and fair and reasonable living to be hard to access. And um, I think you said it really well when you were talking about how you lead your team is that, is that when you are employing people in Somex, you're, you're really thinking about them as wanting a living and a really kind of mm-hmm. and the, the life part as well as the job part of what they do with, with your company. And I think the same way. So the, the first temptation in a time like this is to just seek safety and get go to very large firms. And for some people, that might be the right choice. But actually, what what the past 12 months have, have really taught us is that there is there's, there's an equal force across all large organizations, large and small. And so, and in fact, the um, the job cuts, the changes, you have less say of less say in those in a large organization. It can just come out of nowhere, or it can come from a throwaway comment about how good is your company relative to another company that is just happening across the big social discourse. So it's kind of about people coming to work to find a living. And then at the same time, that's which is a macro factor that is just worth remembering every day because life is tough. But then the fact that, hey, you know, you and the team you're in chose to sail out across this ocean um, and build your own little little sort of um, position over the past few years. And so you're now leader of that team and there's actually a huge job to be done. The, 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 the fact that this world is changing and the fact that, you know, basically if the, if the economy can't just keep infinitely growing and it means for me at least that healthcare must become affordable um, because everyone needs it. Everyone's, you know, it's a, it's a core fundamental requirement of society. And if in 10 years, we haven't solved it through advances in technology. It will be solved through people having, you know, there's less people around, right? It's, it's a fundamental need and there are fewer people out setting off on these journeys. So if I'm if I'm a business runner, so, you know, a business, an operator, a CEO or a co-founder, and I'm in the boat, I need to remember, A, 
yes, I probably for the thing I'm doing have a huge demand out there for 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 what I'm doing. If I'm if I'm on the right side of the market, if I'm if I'm not trying to um, kid myself at that um, the world is like as it was two years ago, um, it's often better. You know, last year we had a huge conversation as a team saying the world is going to change. We're going to we're going to embrace for the storm, as we said it internally and um you know that the team really trusted and, and and we focused on some new basics and what happened was that we suddenly only needed a few months of trust to then start to see the the, the dangers hitting our you know larger companies etc um so when you're in a small a small team and running a business that is small and i say you're in a small company if you're not in like a hundred thousand plus person company how do you recreate uh, internal to your company center of who are we, um, what are we in control of, what are we not in control of, and therefore not going to get distracted by, and how do we make this a great place to live and work, and how do we keep having empathy for the fact that life is tough, but choose to work, you know, work the ropes and work, you know, and, and work together as a team to to navigate and have satisfaction from from coming into work every day. So creating a sense of control. Um, was was basically easy two years ago because you would essentially just follow the same playbook. You would mm-hmm. try and raise the funding, do do a good announcement, you know, have a good office, like, and it was actually without thinking um, uh, a sort of template cookie cutter of a sort of false sense of individual individualism. And I think instead there's a real need to really um, bring your skill set and to be great at each of the things you do, especially if you lead a business, you know, really find that business model, find that customer fit because no one is, no one is there right now. We are all way over on this side of the course. And these things are probably more long-term because if they thrive in this market and you make hay in this market, you make, you know, you make progress in this market. These are the bits of franchise that last. This is the reality underneath the investor kind of trope of, Oh, best investments made in a, in a bear market, best investments in teams that are trying to be the best and working to be the best and experimenting together. So taking this, taking first standpoint and saying it is tough and I'm going to have empathy for that toughness um, and not mm. just, you know, ignore it, but separately double down on saying we're going to, we're going to use this as the opportunity to really do something unique, to be like unafraid also to improvise a bit. That's, that's the other part that um, will let you, let you sort of show off the skill. And then, and then you can start to see that in your team. You can see people coming in and having these moments that they're proud of again to go and do. And then that makes it worth running a business again. Because frankly, it is very tough. I think you're probably seeing a lot of people having the same thing. But right, you know, there's a lot of losses every day, I think, right now for everyone. I see it, man. I see it. I feel it. I get it. And actually, purpose becomes a really important concept here. And the way that you sell purpose and vision as a leader I think becomes important because where it feels like it's crumbling all around you but you guys are just trying to do a good job and trying to find your way it's purpose that can get you through actually because I think if you're very good at selling that and you're very good at setting your company up so people are very aware of the impact that they're making and I've seen people do this in interesting ways. I've seen, I've seen health tech companies bring patients in to lunch and learns and team meetings and them to talk about the experience that they've had. I've seen it um, 
with very good visionary CEOs and other co-founding leaders demonstrate that. But I've actually seen it most, I would say, and done done best with with transparency. And actually, I think when you care, when you genuinely actually care yourself about the mission of the company, which you do, it comes through. Like there's no there's no getting around it. And I think even with me now, there's like 300 odd episodes. This is 300 odd hours of content that yeah. like of me talking about health tech. You don't get to that without actually caring about the result, without actually caring about adoption of technology and making this thing matter. And I think the, the more that you can increase the transparency around yourself and your actions and what you are doing, and then encouraging that of everybody else too, and then you trust everybody's good intentions. I think you can really unite people around that purpose and that shared mission in a way that isn't cheesy. Because I think that's the challenge with having a vision statement and a mission statement is that, oh, it's this thing that's held up in team meetings and like, oh, but what are they actually doing? And you know, you hear these things about Musk sleeping in the office and things like that. You don't really know what to make of it. But at the end of the day, it is still a transparent action that shows the willingness to uh, I guess lead and and do against what he believes is right. When let's be honest, he could be sat in a five star hotel for the rest of his life, um, and he yeah. chooses that every day. But I, and uh, you know, make of that what you will about toxic hustle culture or whatever. But I think I, I I just the way that I'm seeing this is like I feel like myself. I need to I I'm holding myself accountable here in a time of stormy seas. Yes, to be the entrepreneur and to be the leader that not only finds a way, but actually thrives and actually finds the business models that will work and does the hard thing. And, you know, I don't like the phrase hard work. I think everyone works hard, but finding a way, I guess, and I'm holding myself accountable at a time like this to try and do that as a leader. And I think in all those different ways, people are doing it well, but really I think, genuinely caring and then being very transparent about how I think, I think that goes a long way. Yeah. And I think, um, you said a few things that really, really make sense to me. I mean, you know, you're a hugely successful founder in your own right, in the sense that you've created this huge platform and following. And I know that then actually taking the team now through this next step is an equal challenge for you as it is for me and for everyone else. And, um, what's interesting is that you mentioned the words sort of purpose and vision, and the first thing that everyone who leads a business need, needs is to wrestle with your own sense of purpose. Like, what am I doing here? Mm. And you're re, you know, you mentioned these concepts of well, you know, there's actually something that Elon Musk did in sleeping in the office, despite the fact that there's a lot of toxicity that that whole kind of current hyperbillionaire mm. endeavor throws off. That is is actually the same as something a mentor said to me around the shadow of the leader. In the sense, that if you lead, you choose to come in to lead and and do something. Um, you first want to obviously decide what you're, why you're there, uh, and, and and that's what you want to do. But then, then then you want to model that behavior and be the leader. Um, the thing, as you were describing, you know your your thought process. There's this um, again because unfortunately, because I've got into sailing recently, this a lot of sailing stuff just resonates. I saw this picture, a photograph of a lighthouse off the cor- cor- uh, off the coast of Brittany. So a kind of famous one actually, which is built basically in the ocean, and it's it's this picture taken as a huge wave bigger than the entire lighthouse hits the lighthouse in a storm. And I looked at it and went, that's exactly how it feels right now to be leading whatever you choose to lead in this market. 
and, but also the engineer in me goes, how did they build that thing? Because it was it's literally in the middle of the ocean. That's um, I want to say it's called Jumel or something. It's literally off the coast of Brittany. And I go back, you know, a hundred odd years ago. How did a team build the foundations? Because this thing is now just about tall enough that the top yeah. pokes through the wave. But how did the team have the resilience to go in and put the foundations down, probably except a bunch got washed away and keep going and keep going? And 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 I read the story of this lighthouse. It was like this weekend, actually. I saw the picture. And I read about it and I was like, why have they put that there? Why have they built that there? Because it feels as hard as building a business. But why the heck did they do that? And <laughs> it was a place where there were a ton of shipwrecks. And actually someone survived a shipwreck. There's a piece of rock that is in the ocean and no one sees it. And loads of people died. And a survivor wow. of a shipwreck donated, you know, 400,000, whatever it was, as francs or equivalent yeah. to fund the thing. And so they had purpose. You know, they had a, they had a I'm not going to let this happen to someone else again. And I think there's something which is not as cheesy as the word vision, which is identity, right? Which is like, mm. the, we are the people that will build this little piece, right? If this stands, less people will need to build this thing. And that in a time of toughness and challenge is more useful, right? Like the vision is something that you can buy into, but you go, why am I doing it here? Why am I coming in and having pain? It's like, well, actually we need to be the people that do X right now to, to let Y happen. And I hear in kind of what you're saying that, that you're happy to uh, do the time, whatever that means, or sleep in the office, because you feel that there's an identity that you're choosing in this time of challenge and, and change. And what I love about our team is that I've noticed that each of, each of the team members has their identity that they've chosen a lot, uh, you know, as mm -hmm. we've come into this challenge. The, the thing I've had to do a lot as a leader is, is actually take even more noise out of what we're going to aim for, descope certain things, so that we do less, we have this sort of internal statement, do less, but win more, right? It's, it's horrible to be like this wow. A team player and lose, you know, lose all the games that we play. And it's hard. It's a bit like being a tennis player and you're not in control of, of winning every, uh, winning every point, but how can you keep that sense of doing the right things and being the one that's going to come in and ready to do that, you know, 90% of your ability every time. And so creating the space for your team to then succeed is important. And actually, also, I realized that in reality, our businesses do need to be solving stuff fast. So how do I make every person in my company um, and, and everyone else doing the same thing? Uh, how, do you, how do you put them at the forefront of saying, I just have to try my hardest every day? Because if you, if you, um, uh, if, you know, I actually speak to a bunch of investors and they have, they're having pretty tough days too. Uh, there's one who I really mm -hmm. respect. And he said, he said to me last year, look, you know, I'm just trying to end each day with 51 things going right against 49 things going wrong. And I'm not getting that every day. But I just want more days each year. Well, I, I want more days out of the year where I've won more than I've lost. And I'm just turning up and doing it. And, and so um, leading is this sort of weird juxtaposition between knowing that everyone needs to work fast but you need to create sort of this one place, you know, the, sort of the, the rock on which this foundation needs to be built and everyone turns up and is just able to just in their own personal narrative, know what's expected of them, but also to prevent it being so like toxic that you blow up together. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, we actually said if life is tough and life does suck, how can we make sure that work is also occasionally the, the place that you get something back from, you know, when we need to, can we have a meeting just walking around outside because currently it's good weather and that might look from the outside like this team is slacking, but it's actually like us 
working together through a hard part. It's appreciating its life. It's like we talked about before, isn't it? It's appreciating that ultimately what you want for yourself, often the reason you start out as an entrepreneur is because you're trying to adopt some sort of lifestyle architecture um, because you want to do it on your terms. And it's, and, and you should, I want that for my employees too. Like Jess and I talk about this all the time, um, which is how do you make it feel like life, not, just the place that you have to go to to do the work and yeah. the negative connotations associated with that it's really important man but i know i interrupted you but i've got one more question before we run out of time um yeah, which ahead. is i mean you, you mentioned investors there and that that sparked an interesting thought in my mind which is like in in the stormy seas and especially in health tech and even to go into neurotech and things you're doing that they're, they're hard things there's lots of key partnerships that need to be done there's lots of there's lots of potential things that can go wrong but in this in in these stormy seas now what what do your investors expect of you have you had any kind of dialogue about this is what we expect in this period we want your runway extended to blah like is is there are the are the direct instructions is it more sort of course correcting advice is it is it hands off you guys handle it we trust you like what what do you what do you what have you had from your investors in this i mean i think i think we've had everything you've described and and the kitchen sink i think everyone else <laughs> has that too you know i i think um what's great now is that we've got trust from our investors because we have navigated using our knowledge and done it in dialogue with them and not everyone um, not every investor is right for every company. So we've been fortunate to build really, you know, I think relationships we've built over the past 12 months that are stronger than any that we've ever had before. Whereas others where, because we are one piece of the portfolio and actually we're doing, you know, we're now a pretty strong piece of a lot of people's portfolios relative to what they're having. I'm yeah. giving them space and, 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 and I'm just making sure that they understand where we're going. So Dialogue has been the key that has gone from the kitchen sink to something that works. And not every conversation is easy. I think within investors as well, um, no one knows the answer. I mean, if they, if we knew the answer, the business would be built yesterday. Uh, the and, and it would probably be somebody else. So the right investors, quote unquote right investors, I mean, they're... There's been two things that I think investors have said to me, which I find this interesting. Um, money in the best times is very fungible. So there's a brand name for every fund and from every single individual, but it's still money that flows into bank accounts. And it's only in the tough times when that money gets scarce that the, the, the personality, the values, and the value add behind the capital could even matter at all. And, and very few people decided to do that last year, right? Investors have decided... Well, a, a subset of investors have really decided who are they going to be in this market and they've become the leading investors, right? The ones that really have started to invest based on conviction in a real real sense. You know, I believe this is going to go up because it's valuable or or based and based on the values they have and, and seeking that truth. Um, and I've, I speak to a lot of um, these things called, um, these groups called LPs, you know, they're the kind of they're the investors of the investors. So, you know, last year I went and spoke to some of the largest LPs in the world because it was very hard to get truth or clarity out of the VCs that I speak to because everyone's got a lot on and no one knows what's going on. And what was really interesting to me is that while, let's say, 90% of VCs would tell you they're investing, the LPs were seeing a fraction of those 
fraction of those people actually actually doing the investment. And then what became clear by the end of last year was that um, also the LPs ultimately do want investors who can make investments and they want they they respect investors because investors choose to spend every day, you know, finding the value in these in new themes. And so the the brave um, and the hardworking investors that can actually get deals and make them work uh, were were standing out because the others were just waiting for the next pattern to emerge. In short, investors and their expectations have has gone on a huge journey, and the best ones have sort of ended up with a much more real, realistic dialogue, and that's quite nice for a company at our, our scale and stage. Um, I do also think venture capital is no longer the obvious salve for everything. Uh, SaaS is no longer the obvious business model for everything. That's okay, right? And you mentioned your 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 journey, right? You know, you you your you started the business to make a living, but to impact some things at scale. And those things still matter. It's just that the scale, the journey to scale is, is, is you know, you, you should find a way. You're, I love your phrase, find a way. It's time to find a way uh, through the dialogue with the investors that can really understand themselves because otherwise you're not able to understand each other. And also understand that there's other pools of capital out there. That's that's part of finding the way now is, is, is which investors in which ways for your business. Um, because prioritizing the living side doesn't mean just being the kind of lifestyle business of something for almost nobody. It's, it's, it's knowing those two things now need to be held closely in balance. Um, I don't know how much that resonates with you, James. I don't know whether you find that that helps in terms of what you're seeing. Or I, I feel like I should be asking you more questions because you see a lot more than I do. <laughs> it's, it, I, I, don't, I don't see it from where you see it, though. I think what I've learned is that I have a perspective and... I don't I don't have a better perspective than anybody else that is seeing well anything in fact from just a different direction. I don't think there's one direction that's more or less valid than another. And I noticed this a lot in the work that we do, which is you know when you when you're trying to when you're trying to get to grips with like someone's product and and we're in the communications game, right? So we need to understand that product and we need to understand the value propositions behind it. You only need to do the smallest of exercises to essentially map out their audiences, map out who uh, this product touches in some way, shape or form. And every, you, you've got like eight, nine, 10 different audiences who have a completely different value proposition to that one product. So where it comes to a concept like this of like, you know, what's going on broadly, stormy seas, investors, this, that, and the other, I have merely one perspective. It's a perspective that might be made up of a few different people that I've talked to even, but like, I've said this a couple of times before, like I'm the health tech guy that's never built a health tech company. Like I'm, I'm hiding in plain sight as a complete fraud here. That if I'm just someone that's talked to a lot of people from health tech, yet my the perception of me in the space is that I'm the health tech guy. And I've never really experienced it from like the, the coal face of building health tech products, like knowing and understanding engineering or, or software engineering or anything like that. So I don't know it from that. I only know the broad brushstrokes and the detail that I get from people like you. So the goal of this podcast is certainly not to use it as a soapbox for me and to explain my opinions. People can kind of gather that, but people are finding their own opinions from the people that I speak to. And so actually 
whilst I'll reflect often of what I feel about what you've said or, or something like that, I'm here to listen, mate. And actually my opinions, you might find them in an article here and there every now and again, you might find them in this, that, and the other, but they're made up of the actual experience from you guys, which I think personally, and I mean this, like that's actually the bit that's interesting to me, which is why I have a podcast at all, which is why this podcast is listened to at all, because actually it's the opinions of people like you that I think matter and are formed by, you could call it journalism of someone like me, perhaps, and the search for truth and the search for what might be putting a problem next to a solution, finding that narrative. And that's what I'm in search of. I'm in, ser- I'm in search of connecting these different disparate groups of people with problems and people with solutions. And I'm in the game of, I suppose you talked about purpose earlier, right? My purpose and what gets me interested in this is to listen to someone like you and then go, the neurome, interesting. That's a great term. That's a term that I can get on the back of here. And I can actually, I can do a lot with that word. I can now connect that word to these people who are looking for purpose to, to, to work for you perhaps, or an investor that I know invests in Neurotech that actually wants to know more about that. And I, and I can start connecting the dots of network and people that I know. And then you just hope from a business model perspective that I can sit in the middle and milk a cow in the middle of there somewhere. <laughs> That's essentially monetizing content or indeed having an agency where we can help, you know, dis- distribute yeah. those messages and this, that, and the other. So that's my game, mate. So I'm here to listen broadly. I think, um, you know, there's, 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 there's something you do that's very similar to what I do and every other operator does, which is, you know, so my purpose really literally is to be the CEO of BIOS, where BIOS could be hopefully as impactful as the Illumina um, of this industry, and then ideally surpass it and become like the NVIDIA of this industry. Uh, you know, I need to, my purpose is to reach, reach the point where NASDAQ or someone would let us IPO on, on story one and then give us the funds to become story two. Right, and, and create the Triceratops, which is the nickname for the trillion-dollar company <laughs> um, nice. of, of Euro, right? Uh, and so I'm like, that's my only purpose, every conversation I have. But my MO is actually very similar to your MO, which is I speak to probably 2,000 people a year, uh, if not slightly more. I mean, a lot yeah. of them are, are the same, you know, my team every, you know, every day, but actually I have this whole network that I've had to build around BIOS because it's so new, but it's investors telling me about investment last year I had, to, I had to lay new ground and, and meet the investors of the investors and meet the mm. meet the, the frontiers that are new for us like being in the clinic um so something you do which is that network um um helping you deliver the value you want to deliver is the same that helps me as ceo of bios be you know being great bios and i think that there's a thing that you do to yourself a slight yourself a slight disservice to which is the real, um, it's inevitable, right? The data and technology will eventually get plumbed into and drive much more of the productivity of healthcare because mm-hmm. re- real, real healthcare is still dominated by real people doing things with the current technology today. And they, those real people should still be there because they're so important in the lifeblood of, the, of, of healthcare. But the health tech piece needs platforms and that, so the future industry has to contain these like SOMEX scale communication mm. um, layers um, as well as BIOS level deep infrastructure layers to um, to be where it needs to go. And I think you know that. Uh, and I think that that's why um, people respect you and want to work you know, with, with SOMEX is because you're, you're taking your team on that journey and building that piece in the same way we're, we're building our piece. So, I mean, I appreciate that. It, it, I, I... Yes, agree with you. Platform is incredibly important. Communications is incredibly 
really important. And of course, we're the ones supporting that, but actually owning the distribution too. And so us becoming a media and communications company is important. And the media bit is what we're building with this podcast, with Pigeon, which is our news brand, which is a podcast and a newsletter and will be a publication. And those is exactly what you've described. It's platform, but it's also good analysis. And it's what gives to come really full circle here, confidence. And actually when people can see and feel that understanding of our space, you'd hope that that will lead to the confidence and things like that. And actually when you want to go right from LPs down to VCs, down to the people and the entrepreneurs that are going to make that impact and the teams that can make that impact, I'm hoping that then this is long game. I've been building it for 10, 15 years. Goodness knows with the network and the platform and everything that that's where this leads. But, but yeah, thank you, Emil. I appreciate it. We'll see you soon. Hey everyone. Thanks for listening and making it all the way to the end of this episode. Remember to subscribe, rate us and leave a review. And you can head to the description of this episode to follow me on all of my social media. So you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content.